0: Hello, it's Friday the 3rd of December. Yes, it's December already. I'm Gary Bowerman. Welcome to the fifth edition of our weekly news and current affairs show. So let's get ready for takeoff. This is the SCEA Travel News Show. Hello wherever you are in the world and thanks for listening in. So this is the week that the Omicron variant caused the return of flight bans, quarantines and an overall retreat from travel across Southeast Asia and we were making such good progress. It also appears that Singapore has now recorded the region's first cases of Omicron. This week I'll be speaking to Ho Chi Minh City-based Sophie Hartman about a new eco-guide for hospitality businesses and schools produced by the Association of Southeast Asian Social Enterprises, for training in hospitality and catering. This new guide is published in five different languages. I'll also introduce some choice cuts from this week's The Southeast Asia Travel Show in which Hannah Pearson and I discussed the emerging and worsening Omicron situation as it relates to travel and tourism here in Southeast Asia. But as always, let's begin with a look at this week's three biggest travel talking points. So what a difference seven days makes. On last Friday's show, you may remember that one of our top stories was that the Philippines had announced a fully-fledged quarantine-free reopening. Nationals from an extensive list of 159 countries were to be permitted to enter the Philippines from the 1st of December for stays of up to 30 days. There will be no requirement for a visa or the undertaking of a quarantine period. Interestingly, of those 159 countries, both South Africa and Botswana, which were in the process at the time of reporting Omicron infections to the WHO, were included on the Philippines' green list. So that was last Friday, the 26th of November, which coincided with the start, obviously, of the global panic related to the Omicron variant of concern. Four days later, on the 30th of November, the Philippines Interagency Task Force for the Management of Emerging Infectious Diseases postponed the reopening until further notice. Meanwhile, the government also announced this week that it is approved for the annual World Travel and Tourism Council Global Summit to be hosted in Manila next year from the 14th to the 16th of March. And so to Indonesia, where the quarantine period for foreign visitors and Indonesian citizens traveling aboard continues to increase. Having been reduced down to three days, it has since been raised twice, firstly to seven days and now to 10 days. This takes effect from today, the 3rd of December. Indonesia has also banned entry um, to 11 different countries. These are 10 African nations plus Hong Kong. And as we're seeing in the region at the moment, that list may increase in the next few days. Since October, the Director General of Immigration in Indonesia sent us approved just 153 requests for tourist visas through two airports in Bali and Batam. Finally, some brighter news, this week Vietnam Airlines operated the first non-stop direct commercial flight from Vietnam to the US and the first direct flight from the US to Vietnam by a Vietnamese carrier. The outbound flight from Ho Chi Minh City landed in San Francisco on Sunday, however the inbound flight from San Francisco arrived in Da Nang on Wednesday carrying around 170 passengers. The route will actually be twice weekly between San Francisco and Ho Chi Minh City, but Da Nang was used during Vietnam's currently restricted reopening to international visitors. The national carrier says that once conditions do stabilize, it will increase the frequency between San Francisco and Ho Chi Minh City to seven flights per week, and also intends to launch a service between Hanoi and Los Angeles. It hardly needs to be said that the pandemic has been disruptive of every single aspect of travel and tourism over nearly two years now and that includes the work of NGOs. The Association of Southeast Asian Social Enterprises for Training in Hospitality and Catering or ASSET HC, brings together vocational training centers across the region to help vulnerable young people to learn new skills in sustainable hospitality and tourism. This week it produced a new eco-sustainability guide in four regional languages. I spoke with Sophie Hartman, Regional Coordinator for Asset Agency, who is based in Ho Chi Minh City, to find out more about the project and how it has managed to sustain itself over recent months. Okay, so Sophie tell us more about Asset H and C. When was it established and what are its objectives
1: so asset agency was created by the ngo for which i am working which is called institut Européen de coopération and development or iecd iecd has been present in southeast asia for more than a decade and with local partners it implements vocational education projects like for example the hospitality and catering Training center in mesot on the border between thailand and myanmar which is a school that supports the professional integration of youth from the Caribbean minorities by teaching them tourism and hospitality skills. And actually, over the years, IECD realized that there were in the region various initiatives with a similar approach and which actually shared many common interests, were facing the same challenges and had a lot to learn one from the other. And that's how Asset Agency Network was created in 2016. The, the main objective was to help these groups uh, that we call our members to have a greater impact. And over the years, our citizens agency has become a powerful community of professionals committed to helping underprivileged youth to break the cycle of poverty. Nowadays, um, the role of our network is threefold. Uh, first, we create spaces for our members to share experiences, practices, tools and resources so that they can strengthen one another. Second, through a variety of capacity strengthening activities, we also help schools to progress in specific areas, such as pedagogy, entrepreneurship, gender equality, environmental sustainability. And finally, we scale up our members' visibility at regional level, notably by sharing their commitment to sustainability.
0: So you mentioned there that you work in a regional level. Which countries are you currently active?
1: Uh, So, uh, we currently work with 13 schools across Cambodia, Myanmar, Thailand, and Vietnam. And to become a member, schools have to meet three main criteria. They have to deliver vocational training programs in tourism, hospitality, or catering. They have to target disadvantaged students, and they also have to implement a training restaurant, cafe, hotel, or even a bakery shop. And this is actually a very important point that guarantees a high focus on practice, as it allows to train students in real-life settings. And in many cases, such setup also allows to finance part of the training, which is totally free for students who otherwise would not be able to access an education.
0: Now, the pandemic has been disruptive of absolutely everything across our region over the past 20 months, but particularly this year, 2021. Um, How has the pandemic impacted your work, Sophie? And how have you managed to sustain these projects uh, over recent months? So,
1: of course, like everyone in the tourism industry, our members went through challenging times. Uh, When the first lockdowns were declared in the region, the the first concern was obviously to ensure that everyone was safe. But then very quickly, schools had to ask themselves a, a series of key questions. How do we keep training our students and mitigate dropout risk? How do we find sustainable employment for recent graduates and also for alumni who lost their job as a result of the crisis? And then how do we sustain ourselves? So members have actually demonstrated incredible creativity and resilience in dealing with these questions. For example, most schools created adult distance learning system, often from scratch and with means at hand. They adjusted their training program to new needs of the industry which is increasingly looking for employees who are able to multitask, who are comfortable with technology and able to cope with change. They expanded and diversified their networks of partners to maintain the number of internship and job placement opportunities for students. And finally, they also adjusted the strategy of their social business by putting a greater focus on the domestic market, launching new products and services like for example, lunch boxes or delivery services and by establishing innovative partnerships with like-minded companies to offer their products to a larger market.
0: So this week you announced a new project. You published the Asset Agency Eco Guide for hospitality businesses and schools. I think that guide is published in Burmese, Khmer, Thai, Vietnamese, and English. I think. Um, tell us more about that project and what are the next steps for that?
1: Yeah, uh, the guide is, is uh, published in these languages and in Burmese as well. It's actually the culmination of a process. Um, Before launching our very first activities in 2016, we consulted our members on their needs and there was a general consensus that environmental sustainability was a priority. And because we were convinced that we have to practice what we preach, we wanted the schools to be places where students would not only learn about sustainability, but observe and experience it. So instead of starting by designing training content, we decided to first create conducive environments that would inspire students to to take action. So therefore, in collaboration with an engineering company, we conducted environmental audits in 10 of our member schools. And through the process, we collected a lot of information and good practices that we considered useful for our members, but also for any tourism stakeholder willing to operate more responsibly. And we thought that we should not keep that for ourselves and that we should disseminate these many green practices through the eco guide. And the guide was published in 2018 and we received great feedback on it. But some uh, people commented that it was a pity that this resource was available only in English. So to promote a more inclusive approach to sustainability, we decided to translate it in the national languages of the countries where our members are located. And, well, to be honest, the translation in four different languages, each one with their own alphabet has been a bumpy road, and it took us a little bit more time than what we anticipated. But I think that it was worth it, and the timing for the release of this translation actually seems to be good, as COVID-19 has put a sharp focus on the necessity to rethink tourism. And, well because today everything uh, is going digital. We also have co- converted the content of the eco guide in what I would call short video learning nuggets in order to still reach a wider audience. And the next step will be to release these videos through our social networks in the next few
0: weeks. That's a fascinating project. And, and you yourself, Sophie, how have you been involved and how have you seen this project develop over time?
1: Well, um, the, the interesting point um, with the, the audit is that we conducted them in two stages. So there was an initial assessment and then one year later, there was a follow up visit. So during the initial assessment, uh, all the schools received uh, an action plan with action that they could implement to keep progressing uh, on that topic. And well, the schools were the one who would uh, decide which priority they would like to give to the action and what time frame they they would give based on their own situation. But then it was interesting to see one year later uh, how they they had progress and and to have uh, so our uh, partner to to keep providing guidance to to keep uh, progressing on that topic.
0: It's a fascinating subject, particularly in terms of looking at how we can train young people in hospitality and catering and make it very, very relevant for their own circumstances and their own situations. I'd imagine people around the world will be quite interested in this project. How can we find out more? And is there any way that our listeners can get involved?
1: Uh, Well, uh, to find out uh, more, you can, of course, uh, visit uh, our web page uh, www.assethc.org. And, uh, well, uh, as borders are reopening, anyone can come and visit the social businesses of asset agency members. Not only they will enjoy a great experience, but they will also contribute to the training of promising young people. And uh, if you are a tourism professional in the region, schools are always looking for internship and job placement opportunities. You can also share your expertise with our students and teams through skills-based sponsorship. And of course, uh, anyone can always make a donation.
0: Great. And you mentioned there that you will be also releasing some video learning parts to this project. Have you got longer term ambitions about how this might develop in future?
1: Well, we we keep also working with uh, our trainers because, well, in parallel to the development of the EcoGuide and and the audits, we have developed uh, some training content so uh, the idea is, is to keep um, supporting the trainers uh, so that they are able to integrate more and more environmental consideration in in their own training
0: my thanks to sophie hartman of asset H&C in ho chi Minh city for explaining this important project there are several different socially responsible aspects to its work and sophie will come back onto the show in the new year to discuss these in more detail. And we finished this week with a couple of excerpts from this week's the Southeast Asia Travel Show which which tackled the emerging issues as countries start to erect new travel barriers here in Southeast Asia, across Asia Pacific and worldwide. Firstly, here's me talking about the border closures being implemented. You know, shutting borders down to African countries, is that really actually going to stop the spread of this of this virus if 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 it was as we su- suspect something between about two week lag between the first case actually being uh, the specimen being collected and it actually being reported to the who and governments then actually starting to put in in place these these restrictions, uh, it's traveled around the world. So it, it, you know, it's, it seems pretty likely Omicron is around the world right now. It's just a case of identifying the cases and isolating those. That's going to be a very, very important part. We're going to have to go back to this track and trace uh, mechanism, this, this perhaps even mini lockdowns, we don't really know right now. But the border closures at the moment don't really seem to me to make a great deal of sense if the virus has already traveled. And here's Hannah's response. See you next week.
2: No, I mean, and that's something, um, you know, I was watching uh, CNA yesterday, and they had an advisor to the Philippines government. Um, and he was talking about this. And he he was talking about Philippines imposing travel restrictions ahead of the Delta um, variant as well. And he, what he was saying was, it's not a question of if the Omicron variant is going to enter the country, it's when. You know, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. We've seen with Delta, it, You can close your borders, but it's still going to get in somehow. It's more about buying time. And I think I I just get the feeling in Southeast Asia, they see, you know, things are slowly picking up. And we're getting to this end of year period, which is a really crucial period, um, you know, for the economy in terms of generating consumer sales, boosting tourism. And I just wonder if governments just perhaps just trying to protect this time, at least they can get this revenue in. Protect the country until the new year, and then see what happens. But potentially, this this really has the this could really knock all of that progress off track for for the December year-end holidays.